Hi, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and let's talk about a topic that might split your church. Um, and again, um, hopefully not. But the, uh, this question probably really needs no introduction. There's a really popular praise song right now called Reckless Love. And this question has actually been brought up in my own church and I was kind of cornered randomly on a Sunday and asked my opinion on it. And uh, so there's the new hit praise song, it's hit the shelves, iTunes is fired up, uh, or what's the other one? I use iTunes, I'm an, I'm an Apple junkie, much to Brian's disdain. Uh, but. Many people love this song, many people hate this song, and it's something to definitely talk about as far as this is concerned. So both try to argue their points, and today I just want to take some time to analyze the song and ask the simple question, is this song biblical? I think that's more than fair. Is this song foolish to sing? Um, is it inaccurate or is it actually accurate? And should it be something that we should sing and not be scared to sing at all? Uh, and of course, granted, whenever there's praise songs out there, there's always gonna be the theology police, right? There's always gonna be theology police that nitpick everything. And I've seen this ever, I mean, I was raised very, very Baptist. So everything was nitpicked as far as that was concerned. And even more so in Bible college, because you had all the guys who thought that they knew everything all in the same dorm having these discussions. And I think actually the music topic was probably the hottest, most debated topic in my dorms. Uh, and so a little bit about me, I love music. I'm a huge musician actually, I, I love to sing. I, I've done lead vocals, I've done background vocals, I've sang in, um, all I've sang in state winning competition choirs. I have, I play guitar, I play piano, and my most proficient instrument is probably the violin. So, which is why I have all my music out here. I love all sorts of music. I love classical music, I love rock, I love, um, contemporary, I love, you name it, I love it, most likely. Um, there are certain styles I, I don't like, but I don't want you to hit the dislike button on this, so I'm not gonna tell you what those are. So anyway, sometimes this uh, this really can get kind of obnoxious though with people nitpicking things, right? Like, let's be honest, the theology police nitpicking everything can get annoying, uh, but it is good to a degree, because we also wanna make sure we're not being heretical when we sing, or when we talk about things, or when we watch something. We wanna make sure that we're not being her heretical. We wanna make sure we're being accurate. And sometimes though, it, it, on the opposite side, it can be obnoxious and nitpicky and really just be stubborn in its own pridefulness. So which is it on this controversy? Which one is it? Is it, are people being too nitpicky or are people, um, you know, are people being, is it accurate? Or are people being stupid and foolish and not taking uh, proper account? So I'm going to first discuss the verses of this song. I want to first give context here and ask the rest, if the rest of the song is biblical before we get to the most controversial part. So I believe it's important, especially to look at the other verses to give context to Corey's song because I, I mean, he's come under fire for this. And you know, there is a point to it too where you can kind of tell they're trying to use new words to describe God all the time. And it's almost like this new edgy thing in Christian music and uh, in mainstream Christianity. We want to make sure though that we're being accurate. So let's go from there first. So verse one, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. So before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. This is essentially to say, before he spoke a word, God knew you and loved you. And I think this is true. And obviously the Bible talks about this. Psalms 139, 13 through 14 says, you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So yeah, he did know us. And he has been, you know, over and he's known our, uh, us before we were even born. And he has been singing and pouring out bless the, his will and his blessings since before you were even born. It's something that's something very comforting for us to know that God saw the world. He made man in his own image, saw the world and thought it needed you in it. So there's, that's a, very, very important, very important. So I would say this is theologically sound. I would say this is theologically good. I would say um, the second half of the verse is also accurate because it says, you breathed your life in me. Genesis 2-7 talks about this, the very forming of man. Because remember, he talked about before you were born, before you, you, know, you were singing over me, and then you, know, you breathed your life in me. So it's really referring to that the creation event and going all the way back. So. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And this is the moment where we, we as human, as man, humans, as mankind, received a living soul. The only creatures to receive God's breath at all. We are unique in that way. And we, uh, we, this has been the way since the very beginning. Before we all took a breath, God breathed his life of his breath of life into us first. Before we took a breath, God breathed his breath of life to us first. He has, and then it says, of course, he has been so, so good to me. He has been so, so, so kind to me. And seriously, God, we all know the phrase, all the time, God is good. God is good all the time and vice versa. We hear it all the time in churches. It's almost a, it's kind of a cliche, honestly. It kind of makes me cringe a little, but it shouldn't really because God is good to us. God has been so, so good to all of us. And this is plainly spo uh, plainly spoken line that declares a simple yet important truth that God has been good to us. Every good and perfect thing is from above, right? And in 1 Chronicles 16, 34, it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then verse two says this, When I was your foe, Still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. When I was your foe, right there, your, still your love fought for me. And in Romans 5, 9 through 10, it says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life so we see we were enemies of god and then we were reconciled to god so yeah when i was your foe still your love fought for me which is true god loved us even though we were his enemies first corinthians six twenty says you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body you were bought with a price so yes this is true when we felt no worth he still paid it all for us he bought us because and there was a price which was his life again this verse of the song seems very biblical to me it doesn't seem unbiblical and then there's the bridge i know i'm skipping the chorus like i said i'll get to, to that in the end it says there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down no lie you won't tear down coming after me and of course this is a general proclamation of God's love is and is willing to go out of his way to fight for you, to tear down any barrier for his children. And we saw that. I mean, shoot, the, the veil was split. 
God went out of his way to have a relationship with his people, with his children. So this is not necessarily inaccurate. In fact, Deuteronomy 3.22 says, you shall not fear them for it is Lord your God who fights for you. He fights for us. So yes, the bridge is also accurate. And again, we also see in Luke 15, the chorus reference, references, references this. I can't English. It's a problem. And to think I publicly speak for a living. Anyway, but it says that he will go out of his way. He will leave the 99 sheep to go save the one. That is something where he is going out of his way. So this is accurate. Now, the moment we've all been waiting for, let's actually talk about the chorus. It's actually funny because I actually really like this format. Uh, Pastor Mike Winger actually did this format where he went verse by verse and talked about it. But it's funny because him and I, I think kind of landed on slightly opposite conclusions here, uh, which, you know, I actually really like him. I follow his channel. Recommend it. Go do it. Bible Thinker right there. He's It's great. But I just wanted to be, to be sure that we looked at the other parts of the song. I should also note that I don't find the song particularly deep or musically that interesting. I, as a musician, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's an average worship song. I mean, can you sing it in church? Yeah, well, it, is it easy enough to sing for everyone? Probably. Um, but you know, as someone might personally, I actually like a lot more depth to my music than we see a lot in a lot of praise and worship music. But at the same time, I know it's for a congregation, so I'm just being a bit of a snob. So um, anyway, does it deserve the hate and the vitriol it's getting? Uh, can God one? Can someone call God's love reckless? So a lot of people look at it as negative. So I first want to mention this: when we're analyzing worship songs, it's important that we note that worship ought to take place in spirit and in truth. So spirit, our hearts, and uh, you know, being one, you know, uh, communion with God, and then truth. It's got to be truthful. So. In the book of Psalms itself, we see many types of songs. We see repetitious songs in like Psalm 136, personal songs like Psalm 23, theological psalms like 145, songs from the perspective of man, Psalm 143, and then we even see some from what God sees and does on high like Psalm 47 and especially in Revelation and many other parts of the Old Testament. So this song is a, this song would go under personal songs, right? It's using constantly that personal pronoun me and I, so it's a personal song from mankind's perspective, looking at God. So with that in mind, I think it's something that you can kind of, okay, from mankind's perspective, what does God's love really seem like? And I think that's a question that we can ask. So the question now is, is God's love reckless? So let me talk about the actual definitions of this, because I think that's important, right? So this is what most people, why it gets the big no by everyone and nitpicked which is the one definition is marked by proper lack of caution, irresponsible or careless. And that definition for God would be definitely no, right? God isn't irresponsible, Are you kidding me? Um, he's not careless, that's nuts. But then there's a second definition which we see, which is regardless of consequence. And that's a yes. Hear me out for a second. Regardless of consequence. Now, if you're saying reckless and irresponsible or killers, no. But I think the, the song in its context makes clear that it's saying regardless of consequence, which is a definition for the, for the name or for the word, I should say, reckless. So let me explain. Jesus went to the cross regardless of the consequence that waited there for him. 
One person actually once told me too when I said, well, it means regardless of consequence. And they said, what? There is no consequences. He didn't have a consequence. He's God. He never, you know, he knew he was going to live. He, he had it all planned out. There was no consequence. And all I could really, all I could really muster was, really? There's no consequence in Jesus' death at all. No consequence. You're really missing the point if you think there's no consequence there. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God took all our sin and dumped it on his son. And you think there's no consequence? Did that sound like it was consequence free for God? Follow this also by the night before the crucifixion. Matthew 26, 39 says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he goes, okay, I know you what you want me to do, but I really don't want to do it, but not my will, because my will is no, but your will is yes. Jesus knew he was the son of God. He was, he was one of the, he was part of the Trinity, one of the triune God, part of the triune God. And this, and he says, not as I will, because we all know what he would will, because he had to go forward with it. He knew what was coming, but as you will. Sounds like a consequence to me. Sounds like Jesus was about to suffer, which he did. That's the point. The work of the cross is now, so we fast forward. That would happen the day before. He gets beaten and crucified. And he, right before he gave his last verse, I mean, his last verse, his last breath, he says this in Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? and we say there's no consequence? We say that's not a little bit reckless? The Son taking on the sin of all mankind, the Trinity of God, part of the Trinity being forsaken, therefore separated and torn apart, the Trinity itself being hurt for the sins of the world, for, for you and for me, for the love he bestowed upon us. And you say there's no consequence? Knowing we would reject him, as prophesied, he came anyway. Knowing he would suffer, he went forward anyway. Knowing sin would be upon him, he took the burden anyway. Knowing he would die, he went anyway. For we were bought with a price. What's the point of a price if there is no cost? Right? Like, it says we were bought with a price. What's, what's the point of the price if there isn't a cost? There has to be a cost for there to be a price. The cost was his life. He was bruised for our transgressions. We were bought with that price. He went forward regardless of the consequences, regardless of what it would cost him. In this definition, reckless actually fits. We would actually say he is reckless, not in the part where it means irresponsible, but in the part where it means regardless of consequence. Jesus Christ recklessly went forward not caring, regardless of the consequence, to take on the sins of you and me so that we may know him and be made righteous through his blood. That's what he did for us. 
it's a little poetic spin, really. That's all it is. It's a poetic spin within the definition of the word reckless. I think the point of the using that word reckless was to create that, wow, I guess it kind of is moment. So yes, this song is biblically sound. I would actually say it's biblically sound. And do I think it's the best song ever? No, but I do think it's biblically sound. And I really don't think we should be fighting over this. The things that cause disunity in churches are silly. Um, and when I first actually heard the song, I, the controversy didn't even come to mind. I was actually surprised later when I found out it did cause controversy because I knew of the other definition. And uh, my sister, who is also kind of an English freak and she's very theologically you know, pro-est and she's kind of an English Nazi and she's kind of a music snob. I had her listen to it. She goes, yeah, I, I totally understood what that meant right when I heard it. So. Uh, now, granted, if it's that controversial for your church, I wouldn't say it's worth causing disunity over. I mean, you could change it easily to, oh, the all-consuming, you know, selfless love of God. You could say the never-ending love of God. There's a lot of things you could supplement for that instead, or you could just choose to avoid the song. But honestly, I don't think we should avoid it. I don't think it's something really worth it. But maybe you still don't like the song. That's really okay, okay? But just know that those who really do enjoy the song aren't heretics. And in fact, there is reason for it. Uh, and they're still proclaiming a simple truth of God. And I think we need to stop fighting over stupid, silly things like this in the church because this isn't really what God wants for his church. He doesn't want our, the church to be turned on each other like this. And so if, if nothing else, we can at least all move forward here, thanking God for his never ending and never failing love for us and his, all of the things that he does toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, with that being in mind, I hope this has been beneficial to you. Thank you for coming. This has been The Church Split. Again, my name is Will. Uh, like and subscribe to the channel. Help get the word out. Share it with your friends. If this has been a contentious topic with somebody, maybe show them this video. Maybe it could help. But anyway, uh, thank you for coming here. This has been The Church Split.